Blammo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the personalities that shape it. My guest this week is Jeremy Langmead. In addition to being the brand and content director for Mr. Porter, he's also one of the founders. Jeremy and I spoke about his career in fashion, the origins of Mr. Porter, and how using beautiful editorial and storytelling, his team has changed e-commerce and retail as a whole. Let's do it. Mr. Jeremy Langmead. Is it Langmead? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. Nice to be here. It is definitely a, a massive privilege to sit and chat with you for a bit. So this Likewise. is, is going to be fun. Um, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about. Okay. You know, obviously your, your history as an editor, your time at Esquire and Wallpaper, yep. and then, you know, obviously what's going on at Mr. Porter mm-hmm. and what you guys are doing over here. Because it's pretty special. I mean, Thank you. Yeah. It is, it is very... You know, I'm, I'm, we're sitting at the Mr. Porter office in New York, and uh, we are. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. It's a fantastic place. It's like a giant, stylish call center. Yeah. Um, it's just full of people and white desks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I heard it's, it's significantly smaller than London. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, London is like a, there's, I think there's about 1,800 of us in the London office. 1,800? I might be exaggerating hugely, but I think so. There's a lot. There's a lot. It takes 11 minutes to walk from one end to the other. Good God. Yeah, so it's quite ridiculous size. Okay. <laughs> um, weird. So where are you from originally? God, I never really know. Well, I'm, I'm from the UK, but my, okay. um, my lovely mother, um, she married five times. Oh, okay. So whenever she married, we moved to a different place. So I never really look upon anywhere as home because... It's fair. Home, home was where she was married that week. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it, was, it was a traveling childhood, really. But, but um, from all around the UK, and we lived in Norway for a while. But in Norway? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was quite fun. But you, you've spent most of your time in London, right? Yeah. I moved to London when I was about 17. So For school? Uh, yeah, for college. I went to St. Martin's, Central St. Martin's School of Art, yeah. and studied fashion there um, uh, for four years, which which basically involved going to nightclubs, choosing what to wear every day. And that was more or less the whole degree. The uh, scene, right? <laughs> that no. was a scene. There was, there was little <laughs> to learn but how to get into nightclubs for free. But it, it seems to have stood <laughs> me out well. I mean, it was a very prestigious university. Yeah, I mean, it was great. And um, you were surrounded by some amazing fashion designers. And I was on the communication course. But it was, they threw you in the deep end. And that was actually a, a really useful, um, a useful way to learn how to do things and and it was right. actually on the, uh, on the very last day of the course, and I was not quite sure where I was going to... I'd been freelancing at Vogue as an uh, assistant stylist, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And the, um, there was a sweet little old lady who um, worked in the fashion department office, and her phone was ringing, and she wasn't in the office, and I thought, I'll answer it for her, because you know, it'll take her 20 minutes to cross the floor. <laughs> Wait, okay. So I picked up the phone, and I said, hi, fashion department, and um, so this woman on the other end said, oh, hello, I'm ringing from the Sunday Times. Uh, we're starting a new magazine, and I'm looking to hire a junior sub-editor. Can you, um, can you recommend anyone? I said, well, there's this guy called Jeremy Langmead. I could send him around tomorrow. Oh, my God. So I sent me around <laughs> tomorrow. I had no idea what a sub-editor was. <laughs> Being a really horrible, spiteful person, didn't tell anyone else about this, this job interview going. And so being the only one going, I got it. Um, and so I ended up being a copy editor on the magazine. Um, purely, purely by luck, chance, and spitefulness. Yeah. Well, because you answered the phone. I answered the phone and didn't share that information with anyone else. So. Oh, my Lord. So it was lucky. 
So did you always want to be in fashion? Because you said, you know, you, you went to university to study fashion. When, yeah. when did you decide, like, this is, this is who I am? This is what I, I, ch- I wanted to be um, a barrister. I don't know what, what you call a barrister in the US. Lawyer? Yeah, um, yeah uh, you know, the one who stands up in court and, and fights everyone. I wanted, yeah, like I a wanted, litigator. A litigator. Yeah. I wanted to do that for many years. Um, and then suddenly got hooked into magazines like The Face and ID and Blitz and... and um, and suddenly I, this whole London alternative nightclub world became so attractive to me. And so right. for all the wrong superficial reasons, I got sucked into, into fashion. Yeah. Well, but obviously you had a talent for it because, I mean, you're, you've been in, you know, before you were at Mr. Porter, you were an editor, you know, editor in chief. Sure. I mean, you were, you definitely knew what you were doing, whether you realized well, it or not. I don't know. Maybe I think it, it, it was luck. I mean, I, you know, I worked on a few magazines, um, mainly as a copy editor, and I got my big break um, when I went to the Sunday Times. And there was, I remember seeing a job advertising that said, looking for a style editor. And I remember thinking, that's the job I want. <laughs> that is my job. Um, and I applied for it, and I was far too young and inexperienced, and they didn't give it to me. But then Every single week, I'd write in and send uh, ideas for the style section. Every single week, I'd get a letter saying they weren't right. Are you kidding? Um, but eventually, I got a job as the deputy, and then quite soon after that, the uh, the editor left, and and they gave me the magazine. So I, I I did get that job, and that's kind of where all the fun started, I suppose. Well, I mean that that's a lot of ambition. Well, what, yeah. I mean, who, with all due respect, like who who told you that you could do that? Um. No one, <laughs> I suppose. But there's some, I mean, there was something in you well, it, that made you feel that you could submit that. I think so. I think I thought I had all the um, quite necessary elements of superficiality that qualified me <laughs> for a role like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because that is, you know, I've, I worked for a British company for a long time. and Which I w- one? Uh, I worked for the Beggars Group. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, British Music, 4AD, Matador, yeah, XL. Um, and I would say, based on my experience working with British folks, the uh, contentment is something that's, that's a strong characteristic mm-hmm. of, of being British, is, is your role and being a part of it. And, you know, the interesting thing about you is there, you know, is this desire to kind of push the envelope a bit. And, um, and that I just, do you think that came from your, your mom or... I do. I think because um, I always love new challenges and I've always loved doing different jobs and setting things up and uh-huh. trying to create order out of chaos, I suppose. And, um, uh, and I think, yeah, that, I think that really does come from that sort of, you know, quite unsettled, bizarre childhood. Right. So I'm constantly trying to create some order out, out, out of the mess that I'm given with a new job each time, I suppose. That's fantastic. So I think the two must link. It's <laughs> a nice therapy session happening here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just, that's really exciting. And I think, you know, it's, you need to have that sort of characteristic, I think, to be successful, especially in something that, you know, I mean, you were saying is, can be really superficial, can be really intimidating, mm. and very uh, sort of almost class oriented. I, I think the world of fashion, everyone loves and adores it. And many people think that, you know, one, it's simple, yeah. which it's not. No. It's very not. It's very yeah. difficult. Yeah. And that like, it's really just the pretty people. Mm. And I think, you know, and which is something that's been great about this podcast is there's a ton of hard work that goes into it. Mm. It's, you know, I'm, I'm sure that most of your success hasn't always been just answering a phone, but I mean, that, that's, 
That's that's really spectacular. Well, I think you're right, and and you know what makes fashion interesting and what makes fashion work is is that it, it's always in the context of a lifestyle, and right, and I suppose it's the context that's always interested me. So. I think, you know, with the, with the Sunday Times style and then we launched it as a, as a style magazine back then, it was, was you were putting clothes and how people looked into the context of, of, of the lifestyle that was happening at that time. And mm-hmm. at that particular moment, it was when the Princess Diana was in the papers every day, you right. know, Johnny Versace was in his heyday. There was tons going on. It was sort of rock and royalty all merged together on, in, in one scene. And, um, and it was fun to, to write about fashion and clothes and style and parties and behavior and and the psychology all mixed in with that made it made i mean it was a really it was a it, it was it was all if yeah it was like a you know a decade or so after bon of the vanities but yeah here was in london at the time there was right, this explosion yeah. of society all intermingling on different levels a bit like in the tom wolf book and um and so it was you know just being an observer of that you felt quite privileged and then being able to comment on it was just the biggest treat i suppose nice <laughs> so i know that you spent some time at wallpaper for a bit but I, one of the things i wanted to talk about is was more your time at Esquire because at Esquire, because um, your role at Wallpaper, you weren't editor in chief there. So yeah, no, I went in as because um, Tyler Brule had moved on yeah, um, to start Monocle to start uh, yes yes and his yeah. uh, creative agency, um, and I was actually at Evening Standard doing the um, features pages for a year, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a, a daily London newspaper, and um, and they asked me to do Monocle uh, to do a wallpaper and. Um, uh, I hesitated for quite some time, so I was enjoying the Evening Standard. I loved newspapers. You know, that was mostly my background back then. Um, but yeah, I hopped over as editor-in-chief of Wallpaper, and we had to redesign that and redo that, and um, did it for about four years, I think. And so you, you guys, because Tyler had moved on, I mean, did you feel that you needed to make a new imprint, like an entire new voice of what yeah, Wallpaper was? Yeah, I think, was? you know, the, 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 um, the Wallpaper was very much built in, 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 in Tyler's uh, reflection. And, and mm-hmm. um, so that needed to change, not, not because he'd left, but times were changing. You know, it right. was no longer just about sort of, you know, scanty furniture and minimalism. And people were far more eclectic in the way they dress their houses and, in fact, the way they dress themselves too. And so we needed to, to update Wallpaper. We obviously, uh, at the time, as you know, we had, had to build up the website uh, which became and still is a very huge part of wallpaper. Right. And also being a global publication, you know, you had to really sort of make sure that those tentacles stretched across the globe were, were working hard and reporting back. And wallpaper really was, to me, was like um, a, a business job for four years. It really was turning that magazine into a financial success. Right. So it felt more, more, more a business um, uh, job than a, a creative one for those four years, which I enjoyed. Right. And then, then you moved on to, to Esquire. Yeah, yeah. So then, um, Esquire asked me to go there, um, 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 which uh, which was great, and um, kind of uh, one of those another those things where you think, oh, I think this is meant to be because um, just a, a few months before they did a big sale here in New York of Truman Capote's um, possessions. Because oh, I think yeah. when he died, um, Johnny Carson's wife uh, Joanna basically mm-hmm. inherited a lot of his possessions because he was living with them. And so the sale came up, and I'd, I've always been a huge, huge Capote fan. His writing to me is, is some of the best writing ever. Um, so I bid for a few different things uh, oh in, in the auction from, from the UK. And obviously most of it went for much more than they estimated. Sure. But I did win um, a whole pile of Capote's copies of magazines, which had, um, all had his name on and he'd signed some of them, including some of his older squires with his signature on. And literally just one, though. So, oh, how amazing. And then got a call later, probably two weeks after that, saying, I oh, would love to talk to you about editing Esquire. And it was just one of those serendipity moments when you thought, ha, 
this Holy was meant hell. to be. Here I am holding a Capote Esquire, and here you are asking me to come and edit Squire. So, so and off I went. Esquire, I mean, when you, you came over there, Esquire already had a, a pretty, um, like, sussed out sort of, or like a, a very firm voice of what Esquire needed to be and who their readers were. Mm. Did you feel that as you were coming on that you needed to change that? Or was it like, well, this seems to work? Yeah, no, I think um, it, it did need to change. Um, you know, as, as you know, magazines are very cyclical and, and, mm. and they need updating as, as their readership changes. And, and also looking at the uh, competitive set at the time, you know, Esquire needed a bit more of a USP and needed to stand out. And the obvious thing to do was actually take a little bit back to its roots, bring back some really, really brilliant writing, bring back more illustration, um, bring back sort of quite, quite sort of interesting projects that brought people in. So, for instance, we got um, 12 mainders from Dolce Gabbana to Christopher Bailey at Burberry to, um, uh, I can't remember, but um, Giorgio Mine, Ralph Lauren, to redesign a suit, but working in collaboration with an artist. And then we put an exhibition on at Somerset House. And that was really fun, sort of just making people look at fashion and clothes in a different way and just bringing in different strands and different, different sort of cultural aspects of the story. So the, um, it was really fun inventing Esquire and, and doing that for, for four years. I really enjoyed it. And it was a nice team there, too. So, I mean, it's like you're, you're basically going through, like, different universities and different schools. They just also happen to be jobs. Well, I, do you know what? The, I mean, the, the, the joy has been I have been so lucky to be paid to learn new things um, and to be paid to have some fun. And, um, and yeah, it's kind of stressful at the same time, but, but good stress. Yeah. Good stress. Yeah, I've been lucky. So then, you know, basically around this time, it's, what, 2009, 10-ish? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 2010, yeah, and 11, there's, even. there's kind of a storm brewing Ten, yeah. within print publications and publications in general because the internet is here. It's more and more people are using it. People are preferring to use it. Mm. Um, retail, you know, I, I think what was interesting during this time, every news article felt like they would... Um, they would try to be like maybe a little bit more relevant or in the voice by by proclaiming that like retail is over, retail yeah. is done. I mean, yeah. I read so many pieces at, around that time of like, that's it, it's over, hang on to your hat, kid. <laughs> and then, you know, I think this is around the time that you, the conversation starts for you all to start this newer, you know, uh, online men's destination site. H how did Mr. Porter originate? Because mm. you, you are a founder. I want to be very clear about well, that. Yeah, I, 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 w I was brought in to help, to help launch it by, um, by Natalie Massonet. Um, but yeah, so I was at Squire and a um, little frustrated that we didn't have much online presence. Um, and I did keep asking the, uh, the powers that be at Hearst UK saying, we need a website, we need a website. And they said, no, you don't need a website. And this was amazing. People were still saying this. And eventually they, yeah. gave, me, they gave me a budget. I said, okay, you can have a small website, but the team will have to do it. No separate team, and we'll give you a budget. It was, I think it was $80 a month or something Oof. to run the website. So we did, anyway, we, we did it. We, we did a little website. But knowing, as you point out, what, what was going on and the way storytelling was happening and the platforms are all changing, it just seemed crazy. So then it was announced that um, Natalie Massonet uh, and Netta Porter were going to launch a men's uh, site called Mr. Porter. And a bit like that style job all those years before, I thought, <gasps> That's the one. That's the one I want. That's the one I want. Um, but I knew Natalie a little bit, so I thought, well, if she's interested, she'll get in touch. I don't want to badger her because I'm sure everyone's sort of approaching her. So fingers crossed. And I went on holiday, 
Um, and while I was on holiday, I got a call saying, um, oh, Natalie would love to come and talk to you about a new project she's doing. So you think, ping, that's it. <laughs> so um, I, I left the holiday halfway through because um, she was then going to be away. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, so I so, um, came back, met her, um, and she told me about the project, which sounded amazing. And I think I looked at her with, with large, gooey eyes, put together a proposal of, of, of how I thought it, um, it, it could be, and, um, and, and got the job and, and then went to launch Mr. Porter. So, and yeah. Oh my God! Which was which, which was um, hugely exciting, um, terrifying though, because I didn't have uh, digital experience apart from this tiny little website well, on Esquire. I mean, to be honest, no one did. Well, no, I suppose no one did, but but I didn't even have retail experience. Okay. <laughs> so I had no experience really. Part, um, and um, I I can remember the first few weeks there because we didn't have that long. I, I joined in. We joined in about October and November, okay, and we were launching the site in February. So, and you know, very little existed by that stage. So, right. we really had to create sort of the look, feel, the content, and um, uh, and the images and everything. And um, they would talk about wireframes, and I didn't know what wireframes were. They would talk about uh, all these retail language, and I would go, uh, mm, 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 mm. Mm, yes, and then mm-hmm, and then get home. <laughs> Every evening, swallow Xanax and quickly look up all the words that I hadn't understood during the day. So I'd come in the next day and pretend I knew what they were talking about. But, you know, customer journeys, UX departments, all these things, absolute alien language. So it was incredibly stressful, but um, really, really exciting. And um, we, I mean, we were there from eight in the morning till four in the morning for months oh, getting that site ready. Um, I can remember after a few months, it was quite late in the office and I bumped into Natalie. And she said, oh, my gosh, look at you. And I said, what? She said, do you remember when you started, you looked so glamorous, and now look at you. (laughs) My hair was sticking out, my glasses were cockeyed. Um, But the amazing thing was about Natalie, she could say that to you, and then she gave you a hug, and then you walked away thinking, oh, she's so nice. And she said, oh, no, she just said I look terrible. But but you thanked her for that, and that's what she was so good at. Um, But it was really, really thrilling to be you know, be there and, and uh, so early on and, and create this, you know, you're creating a world, aren't you, that hopefully is going to make people's yeah. lives more enjoyable and their shopping habits easier. And, and we got to create this world. And it was a big honor to be part of that. Yeah. I, w- I want to talk, uh, like, from my perspective, when Mr. Porter launched, I was like, what, what is this? I was like, <laughs> there is, because a lot of... I was asking that too. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, a lot of sites launched, um, or there were companies that tried to do I'm going to air quote like the Mr. Porter style, sure. which was, you know, strong editorial, beautiful storytelling and a clear explanation of the product, mm. you know? Um, and I remember there was a, whatever, I won't name the name of the site, but they tried to do it and it just, it was bad. It, yeah. it did not work at all. And, and I, it, I think it was because like they did a lot of content to start, mm-hmm. but then the content just died. Right. And the thing with Mr. Porter I don't think the content has ever stopped because it's, it's a magazine. I mean, we're sitting in front of the, the Mr. Porter Post right now. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, there's an actual magazine, uh, like a digital magazine that's on there. You have the yeah. journal. Yeah. And daily. Yeah, the, the daily. And it's, it was like so intimidating to me. And I see it. I didn't really know how to put my finger on it. But then I started to use it. And mm. I'm no ads or anything here. I'm very serious. Like I was shocked. Because no retailer, physical retailer, mm. had really gotten down the entire experience from going to the site, seeing the products, mm. seeing a story, mm. and, and from a male perspective, 
being able to insert myself into that story. I'm like, Good. you know, I think I can look like him. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then getting it. And then the coolest thing ever. I remember I got my package and it said Mr. Kirkland on it. And I lost my mind because I was like, it's got my name on it. This is just for me. And the, previously the other stuff I'm ordering, it's like, you know, says Jimmy Kirkland <laughs> and you know everything's on yeah. is messed up the shirt you know that I ordered was crumpled up into a ball right. the whole experience of it was yeah. awful yeah and it, the thing that Mr. Porter did was it to me it felt like from day one you, you had it oh thank you and thank you yeah well thank you I mean it was just something because and because of that everyone else in retail panicked Mm. So, you know, it's, it was kind of an iron sharpening iron thing here because everyone's like, oh my God, well, we got to look like Mr. Porter. Yeah. Someone, you know, I've, uh, you know, a colleague of mine who works here, we worked in, uh, for a company and we were doing e-commerce. I, when I was at Beggars, I right. was helping do the e-commerce there and the entire Mr. Porter, and I'm going to use the customer journey, right. was something we were trying to emulate. Right. Because everything about it was, was fantastic. And I know I'm really gloating here, but it's, it was very special to me. And I think Good. because of that, it made retail digitally yeah. an order of magnitude better. Oh, well, thank you, first of all. That, that's, that's so nice to hear. Um, um, I mean, we were lucky because we were able to draw in all the expertise of Net-A-Porter. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, they've been doing it for a few years. So. Yeah, with with the women's side. Correct? Exactly. So, so it, it, in a way, we were very lucky coming second because we could learn what what had worked for them and what didn't. And then, but then we did really completely think the the customer journey and the experience because men are different to women, um, mm-hmm. and we shop differently and think differently, more so then perhaps than now. Um, mm-hmm. Which is why we designed the site differently and why we put a lot more content in because we realized that the, 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 uh, the storytelling, the content experience was going to be far more important for the, for the male consumer because they ask a lot more questions. Um, they need some more persuasion. Uh, it takes longer for them to trust you. Um, uh, a guy isn't always going to think, oh, what should I do today? Oh, let's go shopping. So we had mm. to give them other reasons to want to come to Mr. Porter. Which, so we created this world and the magazine and, and the daily, weekly content. So you come and visit it as a friend, um, and then perhaps then you go shopping. So, so we really did have to create this world that you felt comfortable coming into. And, and um, it was nice to hear you say that you felt, oh, this is me, because that's what we try and do is, is everyone, you know, whether it's, a uh, 22-year-old buying some um, vitamin pumps or whether it's a 72-year-old buying a Xenia <laughs> shirt. Right. Both should feel at home as much as possible on Mr. Porter and they're equally important to us. So we try and make the content as embracing um, and, um, you know, inf- um, in, inf- informal but, but informative, um, entertaining um, and inspiring. Um, and, and, you know, I think what, what I've come to terms after after many years working at the, the fluffy end of the journalism world, um, is I've sort of realized actually that, that there's a huge um, uh, use to that. And, you know, particularly in, in the tough worlds we live in today. And if you can come somewhere and think for that, however, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, um, whether it's on or offline, is you enter this world and it makes you feel comfortable and it makes you feel part of it and you smile and you and then maybe you shop something and you feel good about having brought something new or you learn how to do something that gives you that confidence. That's just, to me now, such a valuable proposition that I've, I've sort of come to terms with what we do as, 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 a, as a force for good, really, is, is, 
if you can just escape to somewhere that's where everything's perfect. You know, Mr. Porter, we never write a snipey story. We never do anything negative. It's always yeah. about making the best of everything. Yeah. Um, not rosy tinted glasses, but just, hey, these things are good and let's celebrate that. And, and I think that's, that's, that's been a nice thing to do. Yeah. There was a bit of a discussion going on in the Blamo Slack group this week over luggage. Duffel or roller? No surprise, the overall consensus was roller. And for me, my preferred roller is my carry-on from away. Away was founded by two friends from New York who found themselves at JFK with dead phones, delayed flights, and a bright idea. Luggage with power. All suitcases are made with a premium German polycarbonate that is impeccably strong. I've been using my Away carry-on for over a year on dozens of trips, and it still looks fantastic. I say this more and more because once you get one of these, you feel like you're in a club. I notice other folks with their Away luggage, and I'm like, oh, hey, dude, what's up? Oh, yeah, you got your one, too? Okay, yeah, respect. What are you doing? Oh, charging your phone with the USB charger? Nice, me too. Right now, Away is giving Blamo listeners $20 off their purchase. Visit awaytravel.com forward slash Blamo and use promo code Blamo at checkout. Don't even worry about shipping. Away has you covered. Last but not least, Away offers a 100-day trial. Live with it, vibe with it, travel with it. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. So visit awaytravel.com forward slash Blamo and use Blamo code at checkout and get moving. One of the things that you guys had done that I was really shocked, and I still think you're probably the only, you know, retail slash magazine slash editorial that has done this is... um, you know, cause, because for me, I still think you're a shopping experience mm, first. Mm, of course. Um, but, you know, you have, you know, like celebrities in these editorials. And, I, you know, I, I'm just wondering, like, how, not, not necessarily securing a celebrity to be in it, but, you know, what was the room like when you're pitching just the budget that's required to, to make this content? Sure. Well, I think from the beginning, we, um, when, we, when we were doing the content and talking about the talent and, you know, and, and actually equally important to us, or if not more important, is you know, we often feature someone who maybe is a, a stained glass window maker or, or right. makes bicycles. Yes. And you know, we do stories on those guys as well as you know, yeah, a lot of artists. Stars, exactly. Anyone yeah. who's doing something, because uh, we don't really like using models, far, far prefer using people who have a job, who happen to be wearing clothes for us. It just adds a layer of interest to it. Mm. And, and also context it makes you feel you can relate to the person more um but when we first approached the uh the agents we just said you know this is editorial yes they're wearing clothes but they wear clothes in gq esquire and all those other magazines so we, we're not we're not paying people to be in the story yeah um but we are doing good you know good photography and 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 good profile writing about these guys so at the beginning some of them were a little bit uh, online uh, uh. <laughs> But then they realized, well, now it's so much easier. But then, of course, they realized that this was a global publication. So that one story went around the world. They realized our stories did get picked up by the the online press, etc. So the reach they got through us was actually often far more than they did through a more traditional outlet. So, um, So it wasn't as hard as you imagine. It just took a while for them to get it. But then they did. And we, we, you know, we we, we get some um, pretty amazing talent. Yeah, uh, incredible. But but, but, um, we always try and make sure we do make sure that we feature the right talent and only when necessary we don't need talent for talent's sake because a story about um someone uh, an architect in amsterdam that for us that story can often get as much traffic as you know the lead guy in the latest marvel movie it all depends right yeah and well again because (laughs) because i feel that especially as a male shopper you want to see yourself in it and if say you only did yeah 
you know, people who are in Marvel movies, uh, I feel like even though that's a massive category, it's still almost a relatively narrow demographic. And like you were saying, yeah, you want to have people who are in their 60s and 70s mm. or, you know, who are shopping online. And mm. so it's sometimes a little bit easier for them to relate if they can well, see someone so. in a different you see, careers. Oh, that guy's an architect. I'm an architect. Oh, so I could probably get away with that sweater. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's some... And, and men are a bit, um, you know, a bit more cautious, and, and I think our egos are more fragile than, yes. than women. And so we're terrified of making a mistake, terrified of getting it wrong. And yet the weird thing about us, and it's getting better, um, um, but the weird thing about us is, is um, uh, we don't ask each other for advice. No. Um, I mean, in our office, obviously, you know, I'll try a new jacket, and I'll say to Toby, who, who's our MD, I'll say, what do you think? Do you think, do you think the strat? Yeah, and he'll go, oh, oh, I quite like that one. Oh, what about that one? <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll happily have that conversation. But, but normal guys who don't uh, know each other won't. Um, um, I, I went to a, 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 a friend of mine had a, um, a film come out on Netflix this week called Ibiza, which is very funny, actually. You must go and watch it. Um, but I was talking, I met the director, and he was this very young, beautifully dressed guy, and we were chatting, and I thought, God, that's a nice suit on. But I didn't say to him, that's a great suit, because I just thought, well, I'm not going to say to a bloke, I don't know, well, that's a great suit. Sure. Even I worked for Mr. Porter. But anyway, I, then I met, met the guys again last night, and he had a nice watch on, and, and he said, oh, my God, I like your watch. And I said, oh, I like your watch. And then we chatted for 20 minutes about watches. And it's that weird thing, whereas we won't talk about each other's clothes, but we will talk about each other's watches. And so, so we don't ask each other for sartorial advice. I think that's yeah. why... The internet, um, as I think actually Bruce Pax mentioned on, on one of your podcasts a while ago, that you know, the internet's made everyone um, uh, so much more confident because they can ask that question anonymously. Yes. And no one sees you ask a dumbass question <laughs> and you get the answer. So for us, it's, for blokes, it's been the perfect answer. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think that every man, the, the, the phrase, can I pull this off, is mm. something that like, I hear all the time. Of or even course. like people mess, like, do you think I can pull this off? And I'm like, well... You know, if you're in New York, you can wear anything you want. Trust me, you know, I walked down a guy in a clown costume on his on, his way, on my way into the office. Exactly. Yeah. So, you, so, you, so you, yeah, you can look, you can Google midnight blue tux and you see how to wear a midnight blue tux, you know, uh, five ways to wear a chino. Oh, I see, I can do it. So there's so much information now literally right. at our fingertips. I think that's made it easier for us. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, because you did mention watches. Mm. Um, you guys have have slowly started to sell um, like very top luxury mm. items that are not clothes sure. on the site. You know, I mean, you, you kind of made the, the, the foray in, into fitness, which was great, and that's smart. But then the newest thing that I've seen is watches. Yeah, and fine watches. Nice watches. And in the past, I know you had done some stuff, it was like a couple vintage pieces here and there, but this is new watches mm. from like, you know, Richemont Group mm -hmm. that is, that are... And beyond, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. and beyond that are, you guys are an authorized dealer, mm. which, you know, I mean, I wrote about watches and have written about watches for a lot of different magazines. The, the snobbiness of the watch culture and the Swiss culture to even be an authorized dealer and to be a, an authorized dealer that doesn't have a physical store yeah. is unheard of. Yeah, I mean that that that's. I mean, we, we've I think we've we've now got sixteen uh, fine watch brands. So yeah, uh, which is amazing. But th that would yeah, that was not an easy journey. No, um, that was mostly down to the hard work of of Toby Bateman, our MD, who was really obsessed about launching hard luxury. Um, yeah, on Mr. Porter. But yeah, we wanted watches in the beginning. I mean, it's kind of crazy that you sell a whole outfit, and yet you don't sell the watch. It, and it just seemed. But we're not finishing it off. You know, this, right. this is the thing that stops the outfit. So we always felt sad that we didn't have watches, but as you say, none of, none of the top watch brands would sell online. Yeah. Um, and they all agreed with each other, we won't do that. 
Um, Which is a very Swiss watch thing to do. A very Swiss watch thing to do. <laughs> um, and, you know, they had some genuine worries ab- uh, about selling sure. online. So I think um, after a couple of years, we actually persuaded um, a, a British brand called Bremel mm-hmm. uh, to, to come online. And because they were independent, quite a young brand, but a really beautiful brand, they thought, ah, we're going to break the rules. We'll do it. We'll join Mr. Porter. And that, and that worked very well for us. And I think slowly, then we got one more brand, and then they began to see um, that we treated, uh, you know, that, that the watch brands a huge respect, that the way we uh, videoed them, the way we photographed them, mm. the way we talked about them, the way we put them in the context of men's lifestyle, which perhaps watch brands weren't particularly good at doing themselves. Yeah, that's it true. It was all about focusing on the complications, and, and, um, but not really on how they made your life better in a, in a, in a more nuanced way. And so um, eventually they, 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 they've trusted us and, and we have more and more brands coming later this year. And um, yeah, it's been extraordinary how suddenly they and Richemont's were Richemont brands actually were the most suspicious of all, even though we were owned by them. But but um, now we're working closely with these guys, and it's been uh, it's been very exciting. The Fine Watch Hub itself, what what experience are you trying to create there that you're that is separate from the the Mr. Porter experience? Well, yeah, itself? so so I think you know you can come here, and it really is um, uh, the world of watches come to life, and it, it you feel that you're in an area of expertise and. The um, obviously there's a load of content and videos about the making of the watches, about uh, sportsmen testing watches, mm-hmm. but as well as really really proper information about each watch. So you do really feel you're having that in-store experience, right? Um, and you're almost you know touching that watch and and, and looking at that timepiece and really really proper expert advice that that stands up or hopefully even beats you know anyone else who who's doing it in the market. So it really is a serious place to come and learn and purchase a watch learn about and buy a watch yeah because i mean the only other place i know who does digital watch sales and they do it pretty well is hudinki yeah very good and ben's been on here before and i remember when we were first talking uh that they were getting ready to do this i mean they do some vintage yeah but you know and this is not any private information at all but the the vintage market especially with selling digitally is really tough because Mm. the margins just don't you know i mean obviously every site you have to make money to pay a staff to take care of your people to you know benefits etc and when it's vintage there's just nothing left right and so you know the goal i feel like of a lot of these companies that want to do digital well uh excuse me watch sales well on a digital platform is to sell new watches yeah and you know because even then uh thanks to hadinki and a lot of the the world that's starting to recognize and embrace watches in general People are very, very nervous of, you know, uh, air quoting vintage here Mm. because there's so much noise out there Mm. of, you know, of, oh, do I need to worry about this? Mm. Is the dial correct? I hear the period might be wrong. (laughs) This is a four line when I need a two line. And it's funny because there's a lot of, you know, additional money out there and people are just like, no, just give me a new watch. Yeah. You know, give me the, the newest watch. I know it's coming from an authorized dealer. I don't have to worry about any of these other things. I can talk to you about it. I mean, because you know, your, your sale process of it is not always going to be, oh, nice watch, bye. Yeah, true. You want to learn. You want to understand. You want to, I mean, because it's, it's much bigger than a, you know, $100 sweater. Yeah, of course. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that's the aim with the watch up is to have all that information. Yeah. Um, um, and, and the inspiration. And, and, you know, a lot of the guys know their watches. They've probably seen and tried them on in a store, thought about it. And then something, you know, today's the day I'm getting that, whatever, that, that Panerai or, or, or that Zenith. And then they can come to us and we have great service. We have a customer care department that deals with any 
issues they may have before even purchasing. And um, yeah, I think it'll be closely. it'll be really exciting too because, um, at least for me, I, if I'm ever going to spend that much money on a watch, I don't want to walk into a store and be like hello, sir, may I have this watch over there? And they're like, okay, it's $10,000. Okie dokie. Like, I don't, you want to be, you know, anonymous. And also yeah. maybe you want to shop at one in the morning. Yeah. You know, maybe. I think that's it. And I, I think, you know, you, you do want to be anonymous sometimes because you can then just stare at that picture of the watch for 25 minutes. True. And no one thinks you're a weirdy stalker because they can't see you. But <laughs> you can really think about it. And, and, and that, you know, whether that's the $100 sweater or the watch, is the nice sure. thing about online shopping is there's no pre uh, pressure or stress. There's no one watching you looking with sort of sweet, uh, persisting eyes. Will you buy that? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're not on the hook. There's no one standing you. are not on the you. hook. And, you know, that's a great thing. And then you can actually... Get the watch delivered. You can try it on with your clothes if that's how it works for you. Does this go with my suit? Or, or you just, do I love it? Does my wife like it? Does my boyfriend, you know, you just ask all those questions at a leisurely pace. And if you want it, you keep it. If you don't, you don't. Oh, so you can return them? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's yeah. a big deal, too. Yeah. And of course, you know, the nice thing about our returns is we take it for you. You don't have to sort of arrange it yourself. So yeah. if something doesn't work, we come and take it away for you and there's no pressure. So, I mean, what's also amazing is, is, is you've seen and I've seen is maybe eight, 10 years ago, you had one watch or two, maybe one was one your dad gave you. Yeah. But now, you know, we have watch boxes because we now have four or five watches. This is true. Or some people, obviously, tons and tons more. And it's just extraordinary how that, that whole mentality is, is, is completely changed as we collect watches. Yeah. Because um, they are horribly addictive. And you've got your nice, you know, vintage Rolex sub Red Submariner from 1972 that you really treasure. And you like to wear that during the week and then for the evening. It's nice to go into a reverse. I mean, it's just the, oh, yeah. completely, it's the watch, the outfit, the, the mindset, all those three things now change. It's not just that one watch a week. Well, it's just like, I think, you know, with clothes too, in general, uh, I have probably too much clothes. My wife Good. always nags me <laughs> about the amount of clothes that I have. We don't have the space. And I've, I've you know, I've kind of like gotten her to be more okay with it because I was trying to explain to her like with my watches and you know, my stuff, I was like, these are my baseball cards. Mm. Like this, you know, these are like, I may not wear this shirt every day, but this is like, there's memories attached to this. There's, you know, experiences. Mm. And so, I, you know, over the years, like there's just, yeah, there's a suit that I have that I ha probably haven't worn in three years, but I want to keep that there because th there's so much behind it. And I think, you know, with shopping and especially for men, it's, there is a big, uh, memory and, and and you know person it's so personal mm. to me and so i mean a lot of these things yeah i just want to i want to keep and hold on to forever i know it's just finding a storage room it's a problem but <laughs> i think i think that's that i, I was um i was at a, a dinner a few weeks ago and i sat next to george harrison's wife um which was amazing and she was oh, talking wow. about george harrison's clothes and she still has loads of them and um i think the vna had come around and told her how to look after them and how to keep blah 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 and she's going but the thing is I need more room in my dressing room. I don't know where to put his clothes. And I say, oh, maybe you have to take a storage unit. She says, yeah, but, you know, they're so expensive. Anyway, you know, having a normal conversation with any guy about where. Right. And, then, and then I got home and I thought, I think she has quite a big house. I don't, I don't know. So I Googled. <laughs> she has a 152-room house. And she was worried about storage. And I was sort of sweetly trying to tell her, well, you know, you get these storage centers in the middle of town. But, <laughs> so I think whoever you are, whatever your circumstances, closed storage seems to be a problem for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and it, well, because like you know, I don't want to put my stuff in the middle of a, the city, or you know, I'm like, this is I don't want moths or something like that to yeah. go onto it. But 
I'm I mean, quite good at throwing things away, actually. Yeah? Yeah, or giving them to, you know, recycling them for charity or friends or... I tried the, the Marie Kondo method. Are you familiar with that? No, what's that? It's basically this uh, Japanese author, and what you would do is... There's a big book, but to, to summarize it, you, would, um, you only keep things that bring you joy. Very good. Right? Yeah. Which for me as a male with my clothes, well, sorry, newsflash, all of it brings me joy. <laughs> Therefore, nothing is getting rid of. But, um, you know, one of the things you would do is you would hang all of your clothes a certain direction. And when you would wear it, you'd flip it. Right. So then you could see, oh, you know, I actually never wore that shirt. Yeah. So I don't need to keep yeah. it. And I don't, I always wrestle with that. Like, do you, and this is okay. Do you feel that men should like purge their wardrobe and start over or? I think so. I do. I, I, after a year, if I haven't worn something, I do think, yeah, that's going to have to go. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes you regret getting rid of something because obviously things change. I mean, yeah. suddenly loads of sweatpants with the brand's name spelled wrong are back. And you yeah. think, oh, God, I remember having those you know, 15, <laughs> 20 years ago. <laughs> but, but, but then you want a new pair anyway. So I think you have to be quite strict and, and get rid of stuff. Because in the morning when you're making that decision, it's, it's much easier. I, I always envy that... that um, Mickey Rourke wardrobe in nine and a half weeks, you know, with all the white shirts and the con black suits. And, yeah. And he just thought he's got no decision making to, to do. Yeah. So I think quite a tight edit is probably quite a good thing. Nice. <laughs> um, so we're starting to wrap up a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, as Mr. Porter, I mean, you guys also sell some electronics, um, other pieces. Are there any things that you have plans that, um, for Mr. Porter outside of the watch thing that you want to do next? Um, I think we're we're always looking at um um yeah as you say we've got technology we have some homeware uh, mm-hmm. objects too I mean it really is you know an, uh, um an extent towels an extension of that lifestyle but we have to you know our main focus is 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 on clothes and fine watches and um that's our core business and and that is such a giant business in itself it is I mean you know when we launched we had seventy brands and now we've got nearly five hundred brands so it's it's, it's growing and growing at a huge pace without having to spread too far beyond those core categories. But yeah, we're always looking at other things to, to, to get into. But you have to just, um, you know, we, 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 we just, there's so many exciting things happening, so many exciting things to do. It's just, you've just got to make, you know, it's which gets to the top of the pile. Yeah. And that's what's really hard because I love trying new things all the time. And it's just having to, my team, like, I've just had an idea and you can see them all look to heaven. <laughs> oh, <laughs> please, can we wait on that one? But, you know, we, we all live in such exciting times. Um, you know, fashion's bonkers, insane and brilliant all at the same time. Right. Um, technology's just changing at breakneck speed. So, you know, you, you put some strategy for your content together for si- in six months' time. And in six months' time, you're going to rechange that because everyone's using it in a different way. And so right. we're constantly kept on our toes. And um you know the whole the whole uh, magazine and newspaper and content environments completely changing I and mean, um you know sadly some amazing magazines are disappearing each yeah. week we hear about which is always a shame but what is continuing is 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 the the art of telling a story and it's just yes. the way people are getting those stories is changing and i mean look you know here we are doing a podcast you know i sit, sit on the subway and there's thousands of people all looking listening to their podcast you know this is such a brilliant oh, way yeah. of, of digesting information and so we're always having to watch and see how people are uh, are getting hold of their information and communicating and dialoguing and and um and we have to keep up with them. We have to be there for them because a brand can no longer dictate where it's found, can it? It's now, which is right, the consumer who tells you, we want you here in this format on that platform then, and then you have to be there for them. Oh, that's really true. I didn't really think about that. Yeah, because what's so weird 
It's not so long ago, if you wanted to, I, I just find it so weird, that if you wanted to buy something from a shop, you, you know, travel to the shop, yep. and then you'd go in, you'd walk up, and you'd say, oh, can I buy this, please? And they'd say, mm, yes, you can. And then you'd <laughs> give them your money. And it was like they were doing you a favor, wasn't it? No one made it easy for you. Yeah. Um, whereas now, the customer is the boss, and that's as it should be. Wow. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because I, I think, you know, it also breaks away like a lot of the intimidation from stores mm. you know there are stores when i first moved to new york i remember i went into prada at mm. the the, oh, the soho one yeah, yeah the yeah. one in soho and i walked in there and i looked you know i was 19 you know i looked a little bit like a clown and uh they weren't rude to me but i was no. so intimidated by the experience yeah um it's fine i mean i was in awe i was excited sure. but yeah. i i feel that you know what is so great about like shopping online is I don't have to worry about that, mm. you know. And like you were saying earlier, like I can stare at a product for a long time, mm. try you know, figure it out, take it home, see if it works. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and you know, hopefully you can still create some of that experience, There's some yes. adventure and drama and excitement. But but you're right. I mean, I can remember first getting into Dover Street Market, and of oh, course, yeah. you know, they're, they're amazing. But um, it didn't. Specify easily where men's and where women's were, and I remember walking up to a rail, thinking, "Please don't let it be skirts. Please don't let it be skirts." <laughs> Gingerly put my hand on the rail, pulled off. It was a skirt, and then you go, "Oh, looking for a friend, looking for a friend." You put it back, and I don't want to be in that position where I'm just praying that I'm getting the men's clothes and not the women's clothes rail because no one's telling me because they're too cool to say where everything is. Yeah, um, and yeah, I, 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 I don't enjoy that experience. Do you with with the fact that you guys have these like Mister Porter houses? There's a Hamptons, you know, pop up and yeah, things like that yeah. that you do. Would you? I'm speculating. I know. I literally know nothing. Would you ever do like Mister Porter experiences in which like they're like travel experiences that sure. are based around things? Well, we did. Um, we did a pop up store for Kingsman. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was. Um, I think that's only just we're, we're just taking that down. Now it lasted a lot longer than it was supposed to for a pop up. So that was probably about um, six months. Okay. So, so we did that, and that was sort of, you know, experience and, 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 and close at the same time. But I think we would do a physical store if there was a reason for us to do it, as in we, we, were, we had come up with just the most extraordinary thing that no one else was doing. Yeah. Well, I'd hate just to do another version of what everyone else does. So until that amazing concept <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't yet exist is thought of, there isn't really much reason for us to move into that. Let's focus on doing what we do well, and that's, that's e-commerce. That's good. That's really good. Well, this has been a ton of fun. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Really fun. Nice to yeah. talk to you. Good chatting with you. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Tan Lines. If you like this episode, there's plenty more to dive into at blamopod.com. Listen to Blamo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, tell a friend and leave a review. It helps let others discover the show. You can follow us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Still want to connect? Join our newly launched Slack group and chat with other friends of the pod. Thanks again for listening. See you all next week.